Welcome everybody from around the world. Hello everyone. Welcome to Commentaries from the Edge. This is Karen Goldberg and here's what's coming up. I am honored and delighted to welcome Rabbi Michelle Misagia, who is a rabbi at the Temple Israel of Hollywood here in Los Angeles, California, and is about to commemorate her 26th year as a rabbi at that temple. She's going to be the third rabbi who is part of a series that I've been conducting on answering the question, what is a Jew? And I'm very grateful for her time. She is busy with a very significant congregation here in Los Angeles, California, and is known as an innovative rabbi. Just to give you a little bit of her background, she received her bachelor's in art history and women's studies and a master's in Jewish education at the Hebrew Union College in Los Angeles. She has a special interest in working with people who are participating in the process of conversion to Judaism and also very interested in gathering people together for intergenerational learning and socializing. One of her innovative projects was to create the high holiday, the annual high holiday Jewish services as a participatory services and they have standing room only. So I thank you very much, Rabbi Misagia, for being with us today and looking at this question, examining the question, what is a Jew? Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. So it's, it's uh, where to begin, really. I think, you know, part of my doing this series is, and, and I've invited, as you were one of three rabbis that have been invited to comment on this question, is because uh, I, as a Jew, have been asked that question so many times in my long career of community work in the non-Jewish community. And the question often is framed, you know, people asking me, are you a religion? Are you a race? Are you a people? What do yeah. you think of those those questions and the answer? Yeah, they're great questions. Um, uh, first of all, um, as uh, a Jew, we are called B'nai Yisrael, which um, literally means children of ones who struggle with God. Yisrael is someone who struggles with God. And so um, I guess that's always my starting point. My starting point is... What does it mean to say that we're people who struggle with God? You know, it's interesting that in Islam, uh, to be a Muslim means to submit to God, right? And um, us Jews, we like to struggle. We like to argue. We like to look at things from all different perspectives. We don't like to just accept. We like to struggle. And so then what does it mean then to struggle with God? Does that mean that you have to believe in God? If so, what kind of God? And what does God mean? Um, and all the answers to that are yes, yes, and yes, right? Um, you can not believe in God. You can believe in God. But if you are part of the struggle, 
of trying to figure out um, what does it mean to find uh, holiness in the world? What does it mean to create holiness in the world? What does it mean to connect to that energy and that force in the world? What am I in control of? What am I not in control of? Um, and how does Torah and the teachings of Torah um, have to do with my life, have to do with God, have to do with our purpose and our role in the universe? And I think just asking those questions is a starting point um, for what it means to be a Jew. So I'm more interested in the struggle and in the discussion and in the questions than I am in the answers. And, you know, you're you're clarifying something that I've uh, been exposed to um, much of my own life, which is hearing from Jewish sources that uh, the question is more important than the answer. But but also, I think partly what you said, it reminds me of the joke, you know, somebody once told me that if you have um, two Jews in a room, you have three opinions. Right. And that's a good thing. And we like that joke. Um, because it, it makes us uh, sort of smile and be proud of who we are. Um, because to be uh, B'nai Yisrael, uh, uh, a child um, who struggles with the notion of God and the universe and our role in it, uh, is, it doesn't have a simple answer. There's not a clear answer. There's not only a clear answer uh, not for me as an individual, but there's also not one answer for every person. And also those answers change over time. What was asked of me and demanded of me and questioned of me when I was a child is different than when I was a young adult and different um, now as someone in the midst of my life, God willing, and God willing when I am uh, reach old age. Um, so that struggle and that journey changes over time and our relationship with holiness and the universe and our purpose uh, also changes over time. So some people might feel um, that that makes them feel, that idea makes them feel very insecure, that they're, they're, they're searching in their faith for some absolute answers. Yeah, I, I don't think that that is a value in Judaism. Um, and maybe if you want absolutism, maybe uh, then this religion isn't good for you. <laughs> and, and there's no judgment in that. There are some people who really need clarity. You know, our, our, our rabbis valued the idea of argument, and that's codified in the Talmud, which is our oral tradition. There are so many places in the Talmud where the rabbis of the first, second, third, and fourth century ask questions of one another and ask questions of the Torah, of the Hebrew Bible. And often it says, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says this, and they each bring proof text to prove their, their opinion. And then the Gemara, the Talmud, um, just leaves us with that open question. So, well, what is the answer? And uh, more of the time, uh, there is no answer. Just the two different opinions are stated. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with sitting with ambiguity and uncertainty. So uh, I understand that there are people that want more clarity. And don't get me wrong, um, we, we as a people have also created systems that 
do answer, well, what's the prayer what you th- when you wake up in the morning? What's the prayer when you go to sleep at night? There's quote unquote a, a canon of how to act in this world. However, that canon has always changed and morphed over time depending on uh, the circumstances we live in and the challenges that we face. Yeah, so it's it's a very um, so that it's it's this is part of why it's difficult to answer this question about what is a Jew, by by just in a sense, you know, the other joke is you know don't, don't when you when someone asks you a question they say don't answer this question with another question, but it's almost <laughs> as if in Judaism that's that's what we do. It's yeah, part our, it's part of our way of of. Or I know I could say perhaps from, you know, more from the Yiddish, I'm thinking of from the Yiddish language, from the Eastern European language of, of, you know, so many Jews from the past, they would go, well, on one hand, it's this, and on the other hand, it's that. Yeah, and it's not just the Eastern European Jews that gifted us with that. This is this goes, as I said, way back to the Talmud. And and what's wonderful about being Jewish is that you don't have to come from a certain culture or leaning. So, for example, I personally am uh, part Mizrahi. My uh, father was from Tehran, Iran, and I am part Ashkenazi. My mother's heritage goes back to Eastern Europe. Um, so there are, and there are also Sephardi Jews, there are Jews from, from Yemen and from Japan and from Mexico and from Australia. We Jews are not one color or one culture. We're uh, an amalgam of so many different uh, cultures. And anyone can be Jewish. You don't have to be born as a Jew. Um, you can also choose to become Jewish. Um, I personally really love a, a teaching from the Sfat Emet. He lived in the late 1800s, um, and he talks about becoming a Jew. And he says that actually uh, we Jews have two ways of becoming a Jew. One is our inheritance, our morasha, um, and one is um, essentially um, our betrothal. Um, or are more or asa, and one is more passive. Like we just inherit our whole tradition of Torah, Talmud, codes, stories, um, all of that. But one is more active. We need to actively um, pursue what does it mean to be Jewish for each one of us individually. And we can't do one without the other. If we just inherit Torah and inherit our tradition and put it on the bookshelf and do nothing with it, then eventually I'm not sure it'll be really inherited by the next generation. So we have to do the second thing. We have to actively uh, engage with our tradition. And each person will do that differently. There are some people who really... uh, you know, study is really their thing. And other people, prayer is their thing. And other people, social justice is their thing. There's so many doors into being Jewish. There's not just one door. And uh, I celebrate all those doors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I think that, you know, what you were saying before also 
is the um, the idea of always questioning and the kind of ambiguity that that can create uh, if you're not born into that, if you're not used to it. I know this is this is kind of a big question, but I'm wondering, you know, of some of the tension between in our history, and particularly and more than tension, conflict uh, between Judaism and the world outside of Judaism. I wonder if it's related to the fact that uh, for people who in and certain countries and cultures we've been in, that it was very annoying to people that we would not accept absolutes, that it was not accepting absolutes that created a kind of tension between us and the outside world beyond Judaism. It's an interesting question. Um, of course it is threatening to not accept um, the rule of the uh, local ruler because God ultimately is our ru ruler. And yet we Jews are not stupid, right? We have uh, a tradition in Talmud that teaches Dina de Malchuta Dina, the law of the land is the law. So no matter where we live in the world, if the secular law conflicts with our Jewish law, um, we need to obey the secular law. And it, that was probably uh, a law that was put into account because of survival, right? right. Um, so I, I think that, yes, there has been a tension. Um, and yet, I also know that pretty much every single person that sits on my couch that comes to me for conversion says to me that the thing that they are, one of the things they are most attracted to about Judaism is our openness to questions and grappling with issues from all different points of view. And they love that it's not do dogmatic. They love that questioning is valued. Um, and so uh, even though maybe that has been threatening to other rulers throughout the ages, it is also, I think, something that actually has kept us strong and alive and, and valued, I think, to this day. I, I think some of what you're describing also is um, that sense of uh, being Jewish is and embraces the mystery, so many mysteries or accepting the fact that there are, you know, there are so many mysteries in, in our life or in, in life itself and in being a human being. Yeah, there's a tension. In other words, like I think of Ecclesiastes that says there's a time for everything, right? A time for mourning, a time for dancing, a time for planting, a time to uproot what is planted, a time for birth, a time for death. And, you know, there are all of those tensions um, and yet that's on one hand. And then on the other hand, as I mentioned before, there are also, um, there's also structure to Judaism that grounds us, right? When you wake up in the morning, there's a prayer to say, when you eat something, there's a prayer to say, when you do something for the first time, there's a prayer to say, um, when you lay someone in the ground, there's a prayer to say. So there's this tension between knowing that the world waxes and wanes and that different, different um, emotions and feelings and 
experiences uh, confront us all the time. And also there is a structure that grounds us in that ever-changing, ever-flowing, unpredictable nature of life that is sometimes devastating and sometimes absolutely beautiful. That's, that's such a beautiful way to put it. Yes. I think we, we all, we're all walk on that path. We all experience that just being alive. But then I think, yeah, I think of the prayer uh, that's said, uh, especially on, uh, at the end of the week on, on Friday night, when we celebrate Shabbat and Saturday and we, we, you know, we toast the wine and we say, L'chaim, you know, to life. There's that great regard for whatever, whatever we find in life, whatever mysteries or whatever difficulties that we still are celebrating it. So I'm sorry that question. So I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that. Oh, no, no problem. So the question I was, hello, I was, it was, can you hear me? Are we having trouble? Yeah. So I lost you with that question. You were saying something about L'chaim. So maybe you can repeat that whole question. Oh, it's really more of a, a question comment about how um, when you were, we were talking about this, this concept of the question and the mystery of always saying L'chaim, always saying to life, and that we do it often at every, every Sabbath, we say to life when we, when we toast the wine. Yeah, and, and part of that is actually uncomfortably demanding, <laughs> right? Sometimes we don't feel like praising life. Sometimes we're really angry, and sometimes we're depressed, and sometimes we're in mourning. Um, I remember when I was mourning the death of my father, and I really noticed what the mourner's cottage looked it's all about how God is great, wonderful, mighty, awesome. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I feel like throwing this sidur on the floor. I'm so angry. How can I say that God is awesome, great, and mighty? Um, and I remember a, a rabbi friend of mine, a colleague, said to me, um, maybe you can look at it a different way. And he said, uh, you know, now that your father has passed, your is part of the greater universe and part of God's energy. And perhaps he is now able to fully experience God's glory that you actually, as a limited human being, can't. But yet, your father can't say mourner's Kaddish, you can. And so perhaps you are just saying the words that he's actually experiencing now that he's no longer in this world. And I thought to myself, wow, that is a beautiful way of looking at this tradition that can be very complicated and can be asking us to be in radical amazement, to use Heschel's terms, of this world, when maybe we don't feel like being in radical amazement. <laughs> um, recently, I learned this idea from Dr. Melissa Lem of soft fascination, which seems a little more easy for me to lean into than radical amazement as Heschel. I'm not, I'm not negating the, the beauty and gift of walking out into the world and looking at a tree and being in radical amazement or saying L'chaim every single Friday night. Good for us that that's a part of our tradition. And also 
that can be very difficult to access at times when Mm -hmm. we're not in a good place. And so what would it mean to lean into soft fascination and to be gentle on ourselves, even especially during these past two and a half years of COVID, which has been really trying on our souls? And what would it be like if we just asked ourselves, can we just look up at the sky for, you know, a minute and just take in the wonder of the sky and the clouds and the sun and just sit with that minute appreciation Mm -hmm. rather than having to sort of push ourselves to smile and laugh and say, yay, l'chaim, when we don't always feel that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an excellent picture of something right now, very specifically that I think, um, many people are, as you said, are struggling, Jewish and not Jewish, with uh, living with this pandemic. And, you know, not, not just, of course, here in the United States, in Los Angeles, California, but all over the world. So we all, yeah, we all need to find those moments of reaching for something that can comfort us and, and to kind of take us beyond what we've been experiencing these last two years. So I think I think what you're saying really is, um, like you say, you thought of the gifts that Judaism has to give, and uh, that isn't to say, of course, that you know all the different faiths have different gifts to give together. Absolutely, and- I really I really feel that way. I I love being Jewish, and also I don't think it's the only and the the only right way to be in this world. I really deeply believe that God created all different people with all different religions, with all different ways of being in the world. And each of our religions not only grounds us within ourselves and our own souls, but also attaches us to our communities and um, has us think beyond ourselves and act beyond ourselves. And that's the tension that every religion plays with. We Jews have our way to do it and other religions have different ways to do it. And I think what you're, you're describing as, as you said, that you love being Jewish, I actually think it's the love that you have for being Jewish that makes you honor the love that other people have for their particular faith. Yeah, because absolutely. You see, you see in others what you experience yourself and that's, you know, that's a lot of times I think that the being proud and loving uh, your own particular spirituality, your own particular way of being in the world is an opportunity to, to you know, hom- to give homage to other people and to appreciate other people's way. Absolutely. And I don't at all find it threatening. Uh, one of my closest friends from college is a really devout and practical practicing Catholic. And we love talking about religion together because both of us are very connected and very steeped and very grounded in our traditions. And we're not at all interested in convincing the other person of, um, uh, of adapting or adopting their ways, uh, as opposed to um, another person I know who is a very uh, committed uh, traditional Jew, and he's constantly trying to make me um, believe his way of believing or practice in his way of practicing. And I'm just not interested. Like I'm, I'm much more interested in engaging with someone 
who is passionate about where they're coming from, as opposed to trying to convince me to change to be something else. And, and I do the same, uh, frankly, with all my conversion students. I always say to them when they come to me for conversion, I say, listen, I'm a rabbi, I'm a teacher. That's my number one goal is to teach. If I study with you for a year or two years and you learn all of this and you say to me, wow, that was great, Rabbi Misagi. I loved learning that. But you know what? I've decided this is not for me. I don't want to convert. I say to you, that's fine. Great. I hope that this was interesting and good luck on your journey. And if after a year, a year and a half, two years, you say to me, that was really great. I want to be Jewish. I say, great, now let's take the next steps. But my goal isn't to convince someone to be Jewish. My goal is to teach about our values, our tradition, our history, our holidays, our life cycle events. And if that resonates with you, fabulous. And if it doesn't, that's okay. I'm here to teach. Now you're mentioning a really sensitive subject that's been part of our long, long history, which is the fact that being Jewish has been the, an experience of having often the outer world trying to force you into thinking their particular way or their particular faith. And, you know, that's, that's been a source of a great amount of, when you talk about struggle, getting back to your original my original uh, idea that you were talking about being Jewish is to struggle with God. Often also being Jewish is to struggle with the world, at least in, in not, not so much in the United States, even though of course there's been a tremendous rise of anti-Semitism, as there has been anti many groups in, less, in the United States right now. Uh, but we've struggled to be peaceful in the world uh, when often the, the outside of the Judaism world has wanted to be very, uh, what can I say, like aggressive and dominant, dominate, I should say, over our particular way of thinking. So I think for me, the deeper question is, what is so fearful? What is so scary? Um, I think that's where the... Um, the anti-Semitism comes from is that people are operating from a place of fear and that fear leads to anger and hate. And I don't think we need to operate from a place of fear. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking about Arlie Hochschild. She's a professor at Berkeley. She wrote a fabulous book um, uh, about her journeys down to Southwestern Louisiana um, really uh, understanding uh, people who uh, were Tea Party supporters and uh, very much against um, a lot of the um, left-wing ideas that she, as a left-wing Berkeley professor, um, uh, really believed in. And uh, her goal was to have be in conversation with these people to deeply understand their ways. And it was such a helpful book for me to read and to understand why people are so fearful 
there's an organization called Braver Angels that was created right after Trump was elected by um, uh, a Republican and a Democrat. And it's all uh, lay run and it's in every state in America. And it brings together people who have totally opposing views of things on abortion, on gun control, on all different issues and um, has people sit down and really hear one another. And I think you can't hate up close. You just can't hate up close. And part of the anti-Semitism that we're dealing with now and also throughout history is because um, we don't allow ourselves to get um, up close to the people that we disagree with and, and vice versa that they feel threatened by us and we feel threatened by them. And so uh, that is really one of my goals as a human being and as a Jew, to be able to bridge some of those um, gaps between people. And I've seen, I've seen the results of what you are talking about because of my own interfaith work Mm -hmm. Uh, and the, and the, not only, uh, that you can't hate, but that you, it's almost the opposite that happens, which is that you, you become bound, bonded with people who are very different, who have very different points of view of the world and of their faith. And you feel, I mean, it sounds cliches, but you almost, you can develop a brotherhood and sisterhood just from the fact of being exposed to one another, to learn from one another. Yeah. You know, to be part of to be part of something together. So it's you know it's very simple, and yet, and yet it seems that fear is one of the great driving forces in human life. Yeah, it is, and I think it 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 also demands a sense of humility. Uh, I you know this um, being able to say I might not be a hundred percent right. And that other people might have truths that sit next to my truth. We see this in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, how can two people both claim that um, the land of Israel is theirs? Well, they can. They both have different narratives. We see this in marriages. How can two people see the same event or the same relationship totally different ways. Well, they can, they do, (laughs) right? And the way to help marriages out and the way to address um, deep conflicts of alien inequality amongst peoples is to really be able to hear both truths at the same time. And that is threatening because we're scared that if we hear or validate or recognize someone else's truth, that then our truth will uh, be discarded. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it goes. Um, I think it can lead to a much healthier peace between people um, if we don't operate from a place of fear. You know, that, that's a great hope. And I can't imagine a time uh, that as we live in right now where that is needed more than ever. So I thank you so much for the contribution you're making to a less fearful world, a more compassionate and more understanding between people. 
And especially thank you so much today for all the time you gave to this conversation. It was really my pleasure. And I appreciate that you're asking these deep and difficult questions. Um, Life is a journey and you are part of my journey. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Commentaries from the Edge. Please subscribe and you will be notified of all future episodes.